0: Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 182, Zero Zone. Today we're discussing Scott O'Connor's latest novel, Zero Zone, all about an artist, an installation she builds in the desert, and the scary cult-like followers it inspires. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need, where Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hey! Hey! hey. It's December! Oh my god, We made it through
1: December. November! 2020, 2020 is going to end! It's going <laughs> to end! I
2: thinking about New Year's. I actually hate New Year's. I'm one of the, it's just an annoying holiday, normally. I like New Year's Day and all the resolutions and stuff, but I was like... I'm gonna have the best New Year's party alone in my house this year. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what, what is that going so, yeah, what does, does that, that mean? Just exactly. You and a bottle of champagne?
0: You I don't and Greg know. And a of
2: Yeah, I don't know yet, but I think it will feel like a true relief.
1: Yeah. When this right. stupid
2: year is over. This, so I don't know, I haven't planned my party. I'm taking suggestions.
1: Well, um, see, here's the, we should all do it. Here's the just thing. Make a
2: giant cake for you guys to eat
0: by
1: yourselves. Like,
0: <laughs> oh, 100%. We're going to finish this entire cake tonight.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the problem is we've just been eating all the cake we want at our house anyway yeah, for the anyway. last nine months. <laughs> right. So what is the indulgence that
0: will really kale. send 2020?
1: <laughs> <laughs> a sprig of uh, kale. Uh, well, here's the thing, though. So I'm I'm looking forward to 2020 ending as well. And I'm looking forward to the new year. I think that's going to be great. The problem is, I turned fifty on January tenth.
2: Oh my and god!
1: And I'm beginning to have some An problems. crisis. Really? I'm beginning. Really? I'm beginning to have some problems. Not physical, oh. mind you. <laughs> mental. Mental. Ment- like mental. last night. Um, <laughs> last night, I said to Wendy, "Oh my god, my dad died, and he was sixty-seven years old. Does that mean I only have seventeen years left in my life?" And Wendy was like, "What the fuck is wrong with you? Why would you even say that?" Yeah, what is wrong with you? I, well, I, <laughs> I, I'm, t- I'm telling you, I'm having a problem. And
2: I'm, <laughs> and I'm yeah, Todd, to I'm with you. Uh, not that you're going to die in 17 years, but I think those milestones, when you realize you're approaching, um, they have a big impact.
1: Yes. yes. Well,
0: I, I turned 40 last year. I know, but I, I, I don't know. Like, whenever I get freaked out about that stuff, I just have to like ask myself, "Well, what is it that I haven't accomplished?" That I'm so worried about, you know, like, cause it's usually about like, and and I end up kind of arriving at like, no, I pretty much have enjoyed my life. I've pretty much gotten, you know, the things, I mean, not everything that I wanted, obviously, and there's still goals, but like, I don't know, 50 is not, 50 is not that big of a deal, Todd. We were with you when you turned 40. I remember
1: we were friends. Wow. When we yeah, you're, yeah, you were. <laughs> and did you freak out then? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the one good thing about turning 40, though, was that I went to the doctor on my, like, after my 40th birthday, and they were like, you need to stop eating red meat and lose weight. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. And so and for the had. last 10 years, I hadn't really eaten red meat. And I lost a bunch of weight, and then I gained it back because it turns out that, you know, if you just eat cream. <laughs>
0: <laughs> doesn't doesn't matter that you're not eating red meat.
1: <laughs> it's still the Donuts cow. every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I agree. Like I, I'm not, uh, I'm not worried that the clock is ticking Todd, towards. Todd, the, the point is, let me
0: be a better friend and say you have accomplished so much in your life. I have. I feel great. You have done so many great, wonderful things, and I am incredibly proud of you. Thank you. You, you, I've done more at the age of fifty than almost anybody else I know at the Aww. age of fifty. Thank so you. Please just be happy about that.
1: I like, am, you? and my hair okay. is still brown. So that's yeah, nice. That's true, actually. Can the I just say,
2: uh, yes, I agree with Ryder. You've done enough. You can die I can now. just
1: quit? Um, <laughs> I just retire? <laughs> but
2: you could if you wanted fuck? to. Sure. If, if, if,
1: if, I did, but you that, wouldn't want to. You want to keep moving. I, you want to keep
0: writing. You I want to keep doing I do creating. have
1: that's what's 20 so cool. years at the UC. I could take early retirement.
2: <laughs> but I want to say, I also want to say, that was just so... What a nice exchange you guys just had. There was just an article in the Washington Post yesterday about how men are reevaluating their friendships because they can't, like, do shit together, so they're, right, like, right. learning how to speak openly to each other. Not, Definitely. Of course, there are so many men who are already amazing at that, but as a trend. So you guys are doing it. Wow.
1: <laughs> so what, I, what no, you're saying agree, is writer and I are at the forefront of male vulnerability?
2: Okay. Slow your roll. <laughs> But um, that's just so nice that you can say like, "Hey, I'm afraid of dying," and your friend says, "I'm proud of you." That's nice. We should all aspire to that.
1: I agree. I, I'm not sure that I'm afraid of dying, although I'm not. I'm not like angling toward it. <laughs> well, let me put that in your mind. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm
1: more. I'm more just like, "Oh fuck, man!" Like, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get sick. Is basically what I'm saying. That's well, my. Yeah. Fear. yeah. My fear right. is illness, not, uh, not death. Um. Because as a Christian, no, I'm not a Christian. Shit. I do fear death. We're totally fucked. Uh, But 2020 cannot end fast enough. I cannot wait for this godforsaken shithole dumpster fire of a fucking year to end. Mm -hmm. That being said, I got some really good early reviews for my new book.
2: Yay! Yeah, when is the official
0: release date?
1: Uh, February 2nd, 2021. Um, But just this uh, last week, um, I got. Actually, writer, this is an accomplishment. For the first time in my career, I got what is called a starred and boxed review. And what that means Ooh. is that in Publishers Weekly, which is the trade magazine for all for book publishing, you can get a review. You can get a starred review, which is great. That means like it's you know it's a, a book of distinction. Or you can get a starred and boxed review. A starred and boxed review means hey everyone, not only is this a great book, this is something special. And I've never, ever in my life gotten a starred and boxed review until the November 23rd issue of Publishers Weekly Magazine, where they reviewed my new book, The Low Desert, and starred and boxed it in my belt. Fell out of my fucking chair when it happened. That's awesome. And did
0: you? How did you feel about what they actually said? Like the content of the. Original? Oh, I felt. Like, I felt great. Yeah, they called yeah. me.
1: They called me a master storyteller. I felt great. Yes. <laughs>
0: did you feel like they actually got the book too? Like the, the yeah of the tone and all the things you were going for.
1: Yeah, you know, um, it's sort of a weird book, um, in that it's both hyper realistic, and then there's some stories in it that are sort of surreal or satirical. But there's a reason that I've written these surreal or satirical stories alongside these hyper-realistic stories, which is to show the absurdity of this criminal life and how easily we as consumers of criminal behavior for entertainment will look at one thing and be horrified by it, look at another thing and find it funny and amusing simply by the way that the person has created that world. And Ooh. So I had I had that in it's my very, mind.
0: Very very like Coen Brothersy of you, actually. You know, you know
1: that's it's a that's weird. a good uh, that's a good comp for what I was thinking when I was doing this.
0: Um, yeah, well, when you we were saying that, I was just thinking of did, did you guys watch the Western anthology that the Coen Brothers did on Netflix last year? No. Oh, you got to watch it. It's amazing. So it's. Four, four or five five films, I think. Um, I'm blanking on the title, but you guys can look it up. Everybody can look it up. It's on Netflix, and um, it's basically their version of a... They're, they're doing exactly that, but in a Western context. Huh. So it's like five different approaches to the Western, and the first one is absolutely absurd. It's a musical... It's hyper violent and it has this like, it's so jarring, but then you realize it's like a compendium of all the Western tropes Mm -hmm. and they're just sort of like blowing them out and showing you how crazy it is. And then like the next one is one of the most brutal films you've ever seen. And then they just kind of keep oscillating between that. So you're never sure which, you know, sort of short story in that anthology, whether it's going to be this like. Gritty realistic awful like heart-wrenching thing or this absurdist funny and they just keep going back and forth So it sounds like a very similar project, about. yeah, it, yeah. It, that's
1: exactly what I was thinking like there's a story in the new book called um, Goon number four which is I, I've just had this idea for years and years about Writing a short story about that guy in the background holding the briefcase mm-hmm. <laughs> You know that's or crazy. you know basically a red shirt from Star Trek Um <laughs> And I just like, what's goon number four's life like? Like, he's just walking around holding the fucking briefcase.
0: (laughs) That's great. And
1: gets shot in the head, you know, or or shoots some guy in the head. And so I wrote the short story, Goon number four. And in it, I use, like, I do all of the cliches to talk about his life. Like, it opens in the, you know, Saharan desert and, you know, in Hummers flying through the desert with drones shooting rockets at shit. And the guys, you know, having a conversation about his life and you know we got to murder a guy in the process and so i'm playing with all of these conceits of the genre to show like how how silly it is but then right. the next story is one of those kinds of stories you know is some right. badass gangster tale um and so the end result being is that publishers weekly understood what i was trying to do and that was um that was very gratifying very gratifying. Oh, it's
2: so great. That's man. awesome. Congratulations.
1: Yeah. So I'm excited. So that's the other thing I'm excited about for 2021. In addition to being one step closer to my own death, is uh, the new book coming out in February. Looking forward to that. Oh,
2: great, man. Congratulations. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And right. well,
2: look on. Speaking look, of making art. Hold on
1: one one second. Look on page. Oh. When you get the book, you guys look on page. Uh, hold on. Uh, Two eighty eight for <gasps> your names.
0: Oh. Do we, get, we got
2: a thanks?
1: You got a thanks. Aww.
2: I'm going to star in box, just my own a... name. <laughs> That's
1: a good idea.
0: Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about Zero Zone. Yes. Um, all right. So Scott O'Connor is the author of the novels Half World and Untouchable. He's written a slew of short stories that have been published everywhere. Uh, he teaches at uh, Cal State Channel Islands up in Ventura. Uh, And Zero Zone is a novel set in the late 1970s uh, in and around Los Angeles. Um, The book is centered on a character named Jess Shepard, who is an artist who creates um, sort of interactive spaces, I guess Mm -hmm. you would say, Mm -hmm. like very visually inspiring, interactive spaces for people to exist in. And um, one of her pieces is entitled Zero Zone that she built in the desert And there is a tragedy that occurred in 1977, where a group of people refused to leave the installation. There was a police shootout, someone died, and then she was consequently attacked by one of those people. Um, And the the novel sort of jumps between time periods, uh, telling us the story of Jess and the creation of the art piece. And her backstory, and then it goes into the people who refused to leave the installation, why they were there, and we get the sort of, uh, and 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 then really it becomes a crime story. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of a mystery crime story with, with Jess herself at the helm, leading the way into trying to figure out what was going on and why these people were so weirdly inspired by her work. Mm-hmm. Um, what'd you
1: guys think? You know... The one word that I kept coming back to over and over again while reading this book is that it is elegant. It is an elegant book. And I mean that in all of the best ways. It is an adult thriller Mm -hmm. about people with interesting lives and problems. Mm -hmm. Elegantly constructed to an ending that you could... Basically, figure out about a hundred pages <laughs> in. Like, right. like you have a you have a pretty good idea with what, what's, what's going to happen in the book, but it's actually sort of a you it was a unique kind of pleasure to read a smart yeah. intellectual book that raises questions about people, about crime, about art, and about society, mm-hmm. all in the space of about two hundred and eighty five pages. <laughs> yeah, and yes. super fast read. Yeah, yeah, super fast read. Elegantly written, elegantly constructed. It. It looks like a piece of art. It has an absolutely beautiful cover, um, and I, I just, I was, I was just totally smitten by it. I just thought it was yeah. a, a really great sort of book to read in the middle of winter, you know, or fall, whatever, whatever year this is. Um, <laughs> like it, matters. But it really, it really brought up some big questions for me that we can talk about um, shortly about the role of the artist. Yeah, after the yeah. art is created, which I think yes. is really fascinating, and which I suspect, Ryder, you have some unique feelings about, um, yeah. because as the person who's created art and then is a symbol of that art for the rest of your life, which I think is right. weird. You are right.
2: the installation. You are the installation <laughs> wherever wherever
1: you go, Ryder, You are the installation. That's so weird. Um, so I I really um, I really appreciated it. I just thought it was just a smart, good book yeah there's some predictable things some some you know things we can talk about that that didn't quite work but all in you know just a really great elegant novel
2: yeah, yeah. I was very excited to read about art installations. Without a mocking tone. Yeah. Mm. That's (laughs)
1: interesting.
2: So, for me, because we've
0: been in this period of like, yeah, every time, yeah, art is always made fun of. The art world is always made
2: fun of. That's, yeah. So, it was for me, okay. So, here's what I would say this book is about, including everything you said, Todd. But the main thing is like, because the frame is that she has this experience where she almost drowns as a child in the ocean and there's Mm -hmm. this like weightless. Feeling, but that's not the word. There's a euphoric moment before the negative mm-hmm. feeling of almost dying comes in Death. that she is that like guides her life and she's like trying being to be 49. It.
1: It's like being 49. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then there are other characters who have similar weightless moments like seizures mm-hmm. and some sex scenes that. It, this book is basically like, how do you get back to that feeling? Like, the, mm-hmm. the one feeling you've had in your life that seems transcendent, how do you create that through art mm-hmm. um, or find that through someone else's art? That mm-hmm. is such a good question. It's such yeah. a fascinating question. And it gives a lot of respect to art installations that is very rare to see. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that she can create a concrete block, and place the windows in a certain way that you might have a transcendent experience, or and other installations that are described here. Um, it was cool. Like and, I have not read other books about this subject.
1: And you know what's really cool too is like the author dreams up these art installations and writes yeah, about them in such incredible. a way <laughs> as though they are real. Yeah. Where like oh I would like to go out and see the zero zone. That sounds cool.
0: That sounds like yeah, a Desert well that, X thing, actually, you know? <laughs> that that scared me so much when I started the book. Because mm-hmm. I hate... It's one of my pet peeves. It's like, don't write about something that you can't... Like, that should just be visual. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I tend to not love... Uh, what's the word? Is it ekphrastic or whatever? The, the, the word for, like, when you're writing about... Uh, visual art. I usually, my eyes glaze over, I'm like, no, no, no. just get to the dialogue and the characters, like do what books can do and I I totally, this book completely turned me around by the end, like, you know, uh, this isn't giving anything away but the final chapter is just this beautiful description of the experience of one of her artworks Mm -hmm. And, like, throughout the book, there's, you know, descriptions of it. And I was on board with all of it. I just wanted to be in every one of them. I yeah. wanted to see them made. I was... that, And I thought that was really cool. And then even there's there's a lot of filmmaking stuff in here, too. And film... And I at first, I was just mm-hmm. like, ugh, don't do... I don't want to read about movies. Mm-hmm. But I was totally... It completely won me over. Um, so, yeah, that, that that is part of that elegance, I think, is that he pulls that kind of magic trick. Because that's hard to do. Yeah, and I don't yeah.
1: quite know how he does it. Like, I, I'm the um. same way, like, I was reminded of some John Irving novel and I don't remember which one where there's a bunch of like art, maybe it was Garp or something where there's a bunch yeah. of art being described and you're just like, Oh, for fuck's sake, I, like, I can't take it. Right. But this, it was like, perhaps because the art, the Jess, the character is creating is such an extension of her emotional life, yeah. but in a way that is made obviously for the public versus it being just a metaphor, you know? Right, and maybe that's how he's able to write it in such a concrete way. But also, he does it short. Like he he's not he's not being super expansive about it. He talks about it, and it makes sense. And then he moves on because there's like there's there's an art installation that she does when she's a younger person, where she creates a room filled with light, and she has this epiphany of the only way to make it work is to remove all the doors. And I was like, oh wow, that sounds like a really cool, you know, art experience to walk through. And it didn't seem um, it, it it didn't seem highfalutin for lack of a better no. term you know it just felt like oh that that would be cool. Well, I think he,
0: I think you're exactly right that he roots he roots his descriptions of the art in the experience of of, of, of experiencing it. Right. are <laughs> yeah, these, it's not like a description of a painting or a description of a room. He is connecting it through the characters experiencing it, and it is so emotional. And you know, by the time you get to what the actual artwork is, you're like. Oh yeah, I can see how this affects this character yeah. or I can see how this, you know, translates into their life somehow. And that that's really good. I mean, that's yeah. like a that's really hard to do.
2: And I think something cool about choosing this kind of art um to highlight is it really brings the layman into the process of like there's there's three people based three parties involved in the art. There's the person designing the art, there's the person building the art Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and then there's the audience who's entering it you know right and you know i think we conflate the design and the build so much that people just respond to whichever one they care about more like what i'm saying is when people walk up to a painting they're like well i could do that or my third grader could paint it um they're responding to the design like it's too easy to build it or not to the design to the build to the creation um whereas he enters the mind of someone designing it and then it's built by someone else um and i don't know that was cool just to focus on that one aspect
1: but it's also because it works in juxtaposition to there's another character so jess has a boyfriend named alex who is her Romantic and sort of creative um, colleague throughout much of the book, but it's in it's in the past. We know we find out early on that that he has died, um, and the art that he creates is the kind of art that makes me want to put my fucking head through a wall. Which is like the artist sits silently on brick and stares at you <laughs> like that's not art. That's you making me right. feel weird. <laughs> lays down on a bed of nails. Yeah, lays down on a bed. Yeah. Of nails. It's like some it's like some art school shit that makes you like hooks you up with hot sex for about a year and then makes you a weird person. And
0: (laughs) Well he does move on from that. He does move on from that. That's like what makes him popular, but then he becomes essentially like a a documentary photographer. Right. After
1: after he goes to Vietnam. And so like that period of time where he's like laying on a bed of nails or sitting quietly for hours on end is so pretentious. But I feel like Scott O'Connor is creating it as an obvious, like, oh, here's this pretentious yeah. Cal Arts sort of thing that people do. Or right. who's, who's that woman who you have to sit across from her and try not to cry for hours on end? Uh, blanking on her name,
0: Abramovic. Maria something
1: or other. That video. And there's the music. I, I'm pretty
0: interested in her stuff. I, I kind yeah, of love it. I'm interested,
1: but, in, I'm interested in her and and that yes. particular thing, but not just, like, some low-rent San Pedro no, version. Copycat of version. Yeah, well, yeah, she was one of the first. Yeah.
0: And for her, too, there's also so much gender stuff going on right. that, like, if a guy was doing it, it would not be. Yeah, it's just creepy. Like, I don't want to stare yeah. in your eyes. <laughs>
1: um, and so this juxtaposition between, like, the, oh, the pretentious sort of cliche of an art school thing, and yeah. then these huge art installations that you can walk through and you have these emotional experiences from is completely different. I mean, this is a thing that I'm I'm sort of specifically into lately because out here in the desert, They do desert x which they do it here in in the desert and they also do it in um, the middle east where it's these huge art installations in the middle of the desert that you can walk inside of and live inside of and you know you can experience it and it really actually is super interesting and inspiring and opens up realms of thought that you wouldn't have imagined like there was there was one that they did at the last desert x they do it every two years and it was a series of staircases I, – I actually, I wrote about this in a magazine, in, um, in Alta magazine. It was a series of staircases that went up about 20 feet in the air, no sides, and there was a circle of them, and there was about eight, and they were on the shore of the Salton Sea, and it was called, like, Stairway to Nowhere or something. And you look at it from the bottom, you're like, oh, that's weird, it's just stairs. But then you climb the stairs – and as you're climbing these stairs with no sides on it, with the salt and sea all around you, the o- oh, it must be terrible. The only, yeah, the, the thought is, oh, I'm gonna fucking die. Like, I, yeah, I could die out here. This is not just art. Like, I could fucking die. Right. And that I really appreciate. And I wonder if my appreciation of that sort of thing that I've gone through helps feed into my appreciation of the art that's being talked about in, uh, in this book.
0: Well, you well, know, for all of our discussion that we've been, we we also we've we've kind of. We haven't talked enough about the fact that it's really a crime. Oh movie. yeah, it's, like it's a straight up crime this, novel. <laughs> it's a straight yeah. up fast moving mystery crime yeah. novel, and uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I was while I was reading, it, I was like, oh, this is kind of like like if you took a Todd Goldberg novel and mashed Ooh. it. You know, there's there's like there's like a very because mm-hmm. it's a noir L A desert mm-hmm. thing, yeah. but yeah. then it has this other sort of like artistic and filmmaking thing. I was like, oh, this is like. Todd Goldberg and Ryder strong sensibility yes. kind of mashed together <laughs> I thought into that a book. Too. Ryder, I we should. Like, That's cool.
1: We should adapt this, is, this if together. We wrote a book
0: together. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> let's do. We,
1: we finally. Well, first have of a all, this
0: would be an amazing film. There's would, no doubt that it this, it's going film. to be an amazing film. Like this is like a like a a better Tarantino film. Yes, <laughs> I love this. I was. It's very cinematic the mm-hmm. way it's written, the plotting, and everything. I was like, oh, so all that we've been talking about is sort of. Yes, like there, but really when you're reading it, it's just a fun there's really intense characters, mm-hmm. they're they're really starkly drawn. Everybody is I mean, there it, it's almost cartoonish. It, it is almost like an Elmore Leonard mixed you know, I don't know. There's something it's pretty again, elegant, like you were yeah. saying. Like it never feels the tone never feels uh it the tone is perfect. Yeah. The tone is marriage well, of these things. And we perfectly.
1: we've left out a big part too. So These people that that go into zero zone and have to be dragged up by the cops and there's a standoff and a person dies. The one one person, Isabella, who's a teenage girl. um, She's the one who ends up attacking uh, the artist, Jess, two years later. And what she does is she shows up to an art show where Jess is, walks up to her and slashes her face. Hmm. And doesn't kill her it doesn't even scar her tremendously but i mean leaves a scar but it's this act of public violence in front of all of these people at the middle of an art show that mm-hmm. if alex the other the the her dead boyfriend who made weird art like that's the sort of thing that would happen at one of his art shows someone would walk oh, up and slash you in the
0: face right mm. right
1: and so I, so the the young woman gets arrested obviously after this and she spends a couple of years in jail, but because she's a juvenile, she gets out of prison, or of juvenile detention after two years, and then goes missing. And what happens is that her family essentially contacts Jess and says, Isabella has gotten out of prison and has gone missing Will you help Which, us find her? That
0: scene is basically the scene at the beginning of every yes. crime detective <laughs> yes. novel. It's like the wealthy people on the hill, mm-hmm. in like this strange, you know, like crumbling uh, uh, estate. And then like there's all this artwork, and then like she's got to sit down and like refuses to take the job of the detective. It's right. like, oh my god, this is so It's so- exactly like the the. Um, uh the uh what was the book i was just talking about the galton case uh the like the old school like yeah. la noir novels and that's like on page 100 of this book yeah. and i was like oh oh that's what this is gonna become i'm so on board with this
2: so i want to push though here because this hmm. is where i feel like we get into the artists how responsible they are for their mm-hmm. work conversation to me that scene while i liked it like something was happening in my brain that pulled me out, which was this pushes the realm of believability right? that anyone would <laughs> call forth an artist to be like,
0: you're responsible for my psycho right.
2: kid. You know right, what I mean? Right. Um, right. That we are supposed to buy like that. That is the main thing that everybody's grappling with in this novel is like, is Jess responsible for this incident? And, while I appreciate that as a subject, like it is treated as like a very actionable subject, like we have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Where, like, right. I don't know if that would ever happen. Like, if anyone would well, the ever way they, think
0: that. Right. The, the way he gets around that is by establishing that the father was a huge fan of Jess's right. work, sure. and that he's this wealthy benefactor for her art, and he collects her work and other people's work. So there's this implication that like somehow. You know that that the parents would make this assumption of the, that that because that is a crazy leap, right? right? Like you're the only person who can get through to my <laughs> daughter or find my daughter, you artist woman in L.A. Like that. The only way that that could be made is that that they already, as a couple, believe in the power of art to such a degree and the, the influence it can have on the world. Um right. Yeah, but it's, the, a, it's a tricky. Yeah,
1: thing. I mean, this is this is sort of the territory of either buy the conceit or don't. Right. Yeah. Like if you buy yeah. it you'll go on if you don't like yeah. that's the that's and that's what i meant at the at the start of the things about sort of the believability is like there's only one person that can find our missing daughter and it's the very person who <laughs> put her yeah. into jail was in the attacked first place. by her right yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. i mean yeah. so it it's absurd but okay but is it any more absurd than in the satanic panic era or any other time where musicians have been blamed for a killing, after mm. Columbine, for instance, when yeah. the media or the public is saying Marilyn Manson, you got to come out here and tell these people to stop killing each other. Eminem, you got to come out here and tell these people to stop killing each other. Right. Like it's there's a I think there's a pretty clear parallel to that. Yes, definitely. That the art is causing people to do these things. The only person that can stop it is the person that's created the art that therefore has the power over that person. Which is absurd.
0: (laughs) It is, it is, but it also, like, there there, there's a really cool thing that he does, which is connects the creation of the art. So she created Zero Zone because of Alex's death. Right. So it is, it is in a weird way, like, she does feel a connection to uh the, the creation of the art is sort of founded in in, in a tragedy mm-hmm. and death and a sort of desire to connect with death and to connect with whatever you know I don't know, like, it, it, that, and, and the fact that Jess doesn't even really understand why she creates her art, I think is really cool. Like, it's not like, you know, she's not this figure saying, I make art to make you have this experience. She's constantly wrestling with that. She's constantly unsure of why she creates the work that she does. She just knows that... It goes back to this drowning she had as a kid, to Alex's death, to, you know, and so she creates these spaces. And so, in a lot of ways, she is herself curious as to why Isabella connected to the art, why this weird cult like sort of thing happened to her art. And in some ways, you, you get the sense like, that's a positive reaction for her. Sure. You know, it's not mm-hmm. all it's not you know, it's it's and that I think is super as opposed to like Marilyn Manson, who could I think kind of throw up his hands and be like, I just make music, man. <laughs> right. You know, like this is all an act. Like this isn't me. I put on makeup, I do a thing, I do a stage show, and it's it's music. Like if people take it in this direction, that's crazy. She's kind of saying, if people take it in this direction, is it crazy? Right. Maybe it's not that crazy. Maybe this is the direction I was actually pushing people. And that is a that's really a cool question to me and and yeah maybe it is false like I don't know you know it's cuz a very healthy person would just say I'm just an artist get the fuck out of my life yeah. but, but but she's not a healthy person he's right. created a character that is fractured in the same way as all these other people But this so this, that...
1: this goes back to the conversation we had last episode with um... With uh, Madeline Travis, yeah, about yeah. what it's like being a soap actor and having people stop you on the street and saying, What you <laughs> right. did to the Considines was unforgivable, you know, <laughs> right. and like that's the, for a certain subset of humanity who cannot separate art from reality.
0: That's it, that's yeah. it.
1: You know, and so it's a really, I think it's in the way that Scott is asking this question in this book is it's not even art that's participatory with the artist. They've created it out there in the desert. That person's not even there. What you're making of it is entirely up to you. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. So, so, yes, Julia, it's like it's absurd that this, (laughs) this wealthy family be like, we can either get Sam Spade or we can get or we can the artist the the who our daughter
2: stabbed in the face. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but in in the service of the actual novel, it ends up working really well. You know, I was so on board. Yeah, I, yeah and actually, yeah. I, I you was want to. On board. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah.
1: And and, and I, in a noir, a noir novel, which this essentially is like you. I mean, you're absolutely right, writer. When you and I adapt this, it's going to be great. Um, <laughs> but in a noir novel, like you need that person who has a super skill to go into the situation and try to write chaos, right? Yes. And so she's the only person that can go into this situation and write the chaos. Because there is, mm-hmm. at the center of it, a chaotic evil in this character mm-hmm. of, uh, of Tanner, um, yeah, who's yeah, essentially like a, a cult leader. Um, and so like, he couldn't just be a cop. A cop wouldn't be able to stop anything. A cop couldn't get these people to talk. But the artist could because the artist has the superpower,
0: right? Right.
1: I mean, and that's why it's elegant. Like, like, mm-hmm. to, like how he came to that thought. Like, he, here's the thing: like, I have no fucking idea how someone comes up with a book like this. I have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> like, I I presume when someone reads a book of mine, they're like, oh yeah, he, he's like, oh, hitmen, that, those are funny. Oh, rabbis, that's funny. Put them together. Put them together. <laughs> But, like, visual artist, cult behavior, 1970s, like, where does that even come from in the ether? Well, I have to say, it makes sense to
0: me. I mean, that, because that was the question I was going to put to the table, which is, why is this set in the 1970s? -hmm. Mm. And I feel like the answer to that question is, is the connective tissue between the the artists and, uh, and the the cult leader Mm -hmm. as sort of like two different figures that do the same thing, you know, in some ways they inspire followers. They inspire experiences and thoughts Mm -hmm. in other people. And, and to set it in the 1970s, the late seventies just makes it, it, first of all, it makes it political in a way without right, having to mention right. politics at all. Like there's Vietnam on the fringe of this book, but it's not really talked about. There's you know there, there's there's no of overt politics in this book, but and yet it feels incredibly political just by its its setting and 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 this question of like, how is she different than Tanner right? Mm. Like I feel like that's kind of what the mm-hmm. book ends up asking because Tanner is this, this cult leader who's inspiring people. He's he seems to be helping people. There are people that seek him out because they want his wisdom. He is disfigured. He was born with with um, bumps all over his body and his face, and so he spent the first part of his life as a sort of monster, you know, hunchback of Notre Dame figure, <laughs> who then becomes, you know, he get, he finds this new confidence, um, and then you know, it, it, you know, uh, sets himself up at a new age bookstore and begins building followers and it it clearly a Manson like Mm -hmm. figure and the, the seventies setting makes that even stronger. And I, I don't know, like I really, I, the, the, if it, if it was set in any other period, I'd be like, well, this connection between an artist and the power of the artist and the power of a, you know, culty new agey guy doesn't really make sense. But the fact that that moment, especially in Southern California, 1970s it makes sense like that does sound right that that could have happened that that is a is, is a valuable question that still lingers today like what responsibility you know because in in our media culture now like the it it, it it spins into so many other questions, like you were saying, like Marilyn Manson, like mm-hmm. filmmakers. I, I don't know. It gets it, trickier. But yeah. in, in the seventies, it feels more rooted in a realistic question. And there's mm-hmm. there's also
1: some some easy things for why it has to be set in the seventies. If it were to take place now, Zero Zone would be filled with Instagram models. You know, right. I mean that's just right. the, that's just the reality. People like, would
2: be running through the desert.
1: Yeah, they'd have Burning yeah. Man going on next yeah. to Zero Zone. So having it take place, having the zero zone installation happen in 1977, it gives us image of like pilgrims descending on it versus Instagram models. So there's that. It's also almost impossible to disappear in 2020. And so Isabella leaving jail and disappearing, well, she'd have a cell phone. They'd find her immediately, (laughs) you know, like. And the criminal justice system also is such that right now, it's really hard if you have a felony and you're getting out of jail to not have a bunch of people watching your every single move from here on out, and there's cameras and all that shit. I mean, this is this is actually a problem I've, or not a problem, but an issue that I've been encountering in a lot of books I've been reading, like to review and stuff. I just I just read a really good book um, called *The System* that I'm reviewing. It'll, the review will be out by the time this uh, airs. Uh, by a writer named Ryan Gaddis, And it's a crime novel that takes place in 1993 and into early 1994 in L.A. And it's about sort of a a gang shooting and a descent into the criminal justice system. And the only way that the book can work, the only way that the mysteries can work, is as if people can't be tracked, if people don't have cell phones. Like, that's the only way that this mystery could happen, is if people didn't have cell phones. And so, like, in order to write compelling crime fiction where it's hard to find a person... It's almost impossible because everything's on camera. Everyone has a phone. Everyone's leaving a footprint behind. And so solving these crimes is a lot easier in DNA and all this other shit. Um, yeah. And so it makes perfect sense to me that he said it in 1979. But, you know, what the funny thing, of course, is that, like, it, that's 40 years ago. Like, we're reading historical fiction at yeah. this point.
2: So yeah. I think ugh, that's so fascinating, Todd, because I've had that thought watching, you know, mysteries set in the nineties and et cetera. I think it's going to feel more and more like a historic genre, you know, Mm. as time goes on, unless the mysteries drastically change, which of course they will. But I have a totally different answer to this question that is rooted in nothing except speculation. (laughs) I feel like, um, the thing that holds this novel together are images Mm -hmm. You know, so the images of the light, the images of every the desert. I think I would not be surprised if this came to this writer as like some fully born images Mm -hmm. within the 70s with the way that people looked, the kind of architecture, the cities. You know, I it just feels like it fits together like a perfect puzzle, not like he had the story and then decided the 70s had to be set. where it right, was set right. i feel like it was fully formed with the lights textures design of the 70s in mind
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah well i imagine he was probably inspired by the art world first and foremost right like sure. he probably probably was inspired by like that 60s 70s art world and then spun a story out of that that i yeah mm-hmm.
1: um yeah, it's possible
0: I, it's, it's also interesting to think about the fact that the, the birth of her art career as this sort of, like, space creation, um, you know, where you can go walk into something and have an experience, is rooted in when she's in college responding to this, like male ritual that they do at her college mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they weigh the women Just publicly bananas. and measure them. Ra- but it sounds like something <laughs> that probably thing. happened. Yeah, that's yeah I'm thing. sure it was a thing For yeah. sure. where they would take, like all the guys would run around and it was like, haha, ha college hijinks. They drag women out into the public square and put them on a scale and measure them. And she had this experience happen to her, which is, you know, an attack an assault. And she decided to create a, and then she herself was so angry and didn't know what to do with her anger that she threw a, a, a coffee mug and it, sh- it shattered ar- across the wall. So she decides to build an art space where women can come in after you know they've had this experience and go into a room where they can just break things. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that was like an, another key point to the the timing, the setting, you know, that 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 the, the the big difference between her and Tanner also, you know, because Tanner is violent towards women uh, yeah. as a cult leader. Right. So he's, he's 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 saying he's inspiring people and he's seeking enlightenment in a way that sounds kind of like an artist. It seems like he, he's working. At it, But at the end of it, he still wants to be able to sleep with a bunch of women right. and beat them up if they disagree with him. And, you know, Jess, as a figure, as an artist, clearly is responding to that as a cultural force. Um, and I, I think setting it in the '60s and '70s helps that too, um, and makes that that brings that theme front and center. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and makes it um, it, it makes it seem unusual what would be usual for us now, right? right. Like breaking right. norms back then is you know just sort of society today. <laughs> Jeez, Jesus Christ. Right. Um, the other thing that I thought was uh, compelling is you know this is this is a, a man who's writing about women. Um, and I, I, I didn't ever have any hiccups with it, no. um, which is not always the case for me. But let's turn to our resident woman.
2: That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know. I, I, were, were you thinking, well, this should be written by a woman? Does he do a good job? What I was I mean, your feeling?
2: you can't really ask that because
1: I just did.
2: <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make sense to imagine that this character could be created by someone else. So the right. question that comes to me more is like, why did he choose for it to be a woman? That right. That's the test, you know? Okay, perfect. Um, Because, is it because she's, I, I don't know. You know, I thought about it while I was reading it, and... I ultimately – there there are some red flags, you know, like the cheating, cuckolding woman with all these, like, you know, artsy lovers, but she's really the genius. I mean, to be honest with you, the first image that came to my mind – you guys are going to die um, – when it's, like, serious painter woman in her, like, painter clothes right. was, <laughs> she's all that. <laughs>
0: We're just being remade
1: right now. Yeah, being remade. Yes. Um
2: which is a trope, right? It's right. this right. like shy, deep girl painting alone in her studio with her overalls and stuff. Um
1: Freddie Prince Jr. as Tanner.
2: <laughs> but she didn't yeah, I was fine with it. I was okay with it. Like there was never a moment where I was like, This man has never met a woman in his life. Um <laughs> I feel like the danger is sometimes that women are treated as, like, extra special. The pedestal, the Eleven and Stranger Things thing, where they're, like, so deep and incredible that... And preferably Yes, of course. Um, (laughs) And I also read this at the same time we've been watching The Queen's Gambit, which I do not like, um for you, related reasons. Well, you are the I've, one. I haven't heard a bad thing
0: about it. I've never seen it I before. know. I have heard a bad thing well, about I, it.
1: Well, I watched the first episode and thought the first episode was terrible, and then Wendy kept watching it, and I think she liked the next five and then didn't like the last two.
2: Yeah, so I've seen about half of it, but I think there is this, like, genius woman thing that, you know, deserves to be questioned at every turn. Like, why, why are we putting this woman up so high but I I ultimately was fine with it I thought it was cool I thought she was a good character um could do without her you know ruining another woman's life by sleeping with her husband oh. but I guess that's a trope that we mean I that thought we you need.
1: I thought you meant ruining another woman's life by uh finding Isabella <laughs>
2: all the cult stuff cult stuff I'm so good with
1: we love Um, a cult book I mean this is if there's one universal truth about the literary disco crew you throw a cult in there we're in it
2: it? (laughs) but um uh writer this must have reminded you of geek love oh yeah I definitely thought about it yeah
0: the the sort of in the same way that geek love is and I think this is really smart that geek love does and, and this book does is that uh what the cult leader is preaching is just so awful. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like this, it's so, you know, because it seems like in real life, you know, the Jonestown stuff, I mean, they're, they're, they're usually piggybacking on Christianity or something sort of positive or an already established system. And I find, I think if you were to, to write about those fictionally, it becomes less interesting to a certain degree. Whereas like in this case, it's just this like, uh, drive towards death. Right. It's just this, like, the uh, there's meaning. There's, you know, there's... And, and I, I I, kept... Re- they, they, they refer to the rupture a couple times in this mm-hmm. book. And I kept thinking, like, what an interesting term because it's not the rapture, but it's similar. It's used similarly in this book that, like, what they're seeking in the room... You're like, what? cause you're, that's the mystery, right? Mm-hmm. You're asking yourself constantly when you're reading this book and I don't want to give anything away, but you're like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Is this something like, is there a magical system that this person is believing in? Is there a, um, and you know, I don't want to give anything away, so I, I won't kind of answer that question, but I love that shit. And I, and I think, yeah. you know, the same way you're like, well, this is awful. No one would actually cut their limbs off like they do in geek love. No one would actually follow this, you know, scary guy around it but then you're like well but that's kind of the point don't actually somebody does don't
1: actually wake up at four o'clock in the morning and play volleyball with keith (laughs) ranieri exactly
0: right because they do they do uh going back to your points about the the art world and the female female art world uh, i I was reminded of the flamethrowers by rachel kushner did you guys ever end up reading that book yeah it's an excellent book it's an excellent book And, and that one is very similar mm-hmm. world uh, set in the 1970s art world. But in New to York. me in New York, but to me, it, you know, it's much more about, uh, it's so much more grounded in reality as far as like what it was like to be a woman who was doing her own art or, you know, her own activities to the side of all these like men with their egos. Uh, and, to me, that was a much more realistic depiction of what it was probably actually like to be to be the muse slash best friend slash artistic cool girl and all the problems that that brought with it. Um, whereas I think Jess Shepard, like you were saying, Julia does end up kind of being a little bit of the, the manic pixie dream artist girl. Like, right, yes. You know what I mean? Like she's kind of, she's really cool. And I wonder how much of the inspiration came from this a, a sort of fantasy of like what would you know what would the cool like amazing and maybe there were there were women that were this cool and and strong and uh, it, it, you know but i i feel like the flamethrowers does a better job it's it's a much it's a much more dense book it's a much less satisfying novel as far as the story mm-hmm. and the plot but as far as create uh, reflecting that world and of, and it's obviously written by a woman too which i th- i think is part of the
1: the, and it's, the difference is about 700 pages longer <laughs> yes
0: it's very long and it, and it's and it's mostly just an examination of those questions yeah. right like there's not there's not really a plot other than like you know who am i dating who am i not da- you know what country are we? I mean, there is a plot but it's not like this this is a this is, uh, a crime this novel.
1: is it's a crime it's novel. A crime it's
0: also it's a it's very cinematic mm-hmm. this book like it it, it moves yeah. at a clip that is that is visual. Like you were saying, Julia, it's visual. It seems based on a lot of those visual tropes and like a sort of evocation of the time and the world and that that's enjoyable in its own right. Like, that is cool, right? That is a talent to be able to do that. So I'm not really comparing it to the flamethrowers and saying one is better than the other. It's, I just think it's a worth, compa- worthy comparison mm-hmm. in terms of, like, depending on what you want out of a book, you know? Like, and- if you want more of an, a realistic depiction of what it was like to be a woman in the 1970s art world, read Flamethrowers. But this book sort of takes that basic idea and spins a great, great
1: Tarantino movie. I, I would go so far to say this would probably be better as an eight episode limited series mm, There you go. because there you go. because there's a bunch of stuff that happens in the 1950s when she's a kid yeah. um you know there's this whole section where she she and her brother who we haven't even brought up um are living with their aunt after their parents die in the 1960s in los angeles and sort of weird mm-hmm. bohemian culture i mean i i I could get eight episodes out of this. I'm just well, let's do it, Tom. Let's go. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> we could we could get a solid the, writer. This is yeah, the yeah. thing that we do. We, I we think so. you
2: guys better send some emails before this uh, episode airs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk to my people, have them yeah, no, find I, the money.
2: <laughs> I really,
0: I mean, I, I I feel that way usually about once or twice a year when I'm reading something where I'm like, well, this has to be made. Yeah. And this was like immediately i'm like oh well i in some ways i would almost rather watch this than read it was <laughs> like this is this well, is incredible
1: yeah because like- if they make it into a television show that we've already sold They'll have mm-hmm. to build the art installations, and then we get to yes. see them and walk through them, and that would be badass. Yes.
2: Please invite me; I want to uh, go.
1: We're—it's a pretty closed set because of COVID, <laughs> Julia. So I don't know if we can get you on.
2: I will wear a mask. I'll probably have to drive though. Do, That's a do long we time.
1: know any beautiful, mysterious women who could play Jess? Oh, now writer, he... why don't you why don't you walk into your home and? talk to your oh, lovely alex? wife alex is no. jess <laughs> no i actually
0: think natalie's who was on our show. oh would natalie be would be perfect <laughs> yeah she's got to be a white woman she's got to be you know yes but yeah
1: but alex is auntie ruth the artist <laughs> the artist aunt in the 1960s oh i see this
0: it'll be tanner it'll be my comeback role <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just like wear like crazy prosthetic makeup and be all bumpy. And, oh, that'd be yeah. great, that
1: Ryder! Ryder, strong as you've never seen him before, <laughs> literally.
2: Oh, God. Wow, this is how the sausage is made, you guys. A bunch of dumbasses <laughs> pitching <off>. ideas, <laughs>
1: talking about who they know. I'm telling you, we could get this shit done. We could get know, this made. It's, a, it's yeah, I'm
0: this one seems inevitable. Somebody's going to make it. I'm
1: going to talk to my people. I think I just Never did.
2: say my people. Just I just want you to know that when the rest of us in America hear that, we're like, ugh.
1: Oh, I just mean writer.
2: Okay, well that's that's fine. But it's the equivalent of eighties asshole in a movie talking on a cell phone.
1: I am I am uh Drew Barrymore's husband to be in the wedding singer.
2: Yes. Glen Yes. Yes. Well done, Julia. Well done. Well, I must have mentioned this to you guys because this was a turning point literally in my life. When that movie came out, I was not a very... I wasn't like a people are slamming me into lockers nerd, but I was like an unnoticed <laughs> kid. But I was the only Julia in my high school. I was 14 or 15. How is that possible? And then... That movie came out, and everyone wanted to call me Julia Gulia as a joke. And I had a lot of friends. Oh,
1: interesting.
2: Yes. And then suddenly
1: you took off your glasses, and people realized how hot you were. And That then... <laughs> part never
2: happened. Still have glasses on. And then <laughs> Freddie Prince <laughs> Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Ryder, did you say you've never seen The Wedding Singer?
1: No, I've never seen it. Oh,
2: that. it's so much fun. Yeah.
1: Have you never been (laughs) homesick?
2: I guess not. Plays
1: plays constantly. Well, I recommend Zero Zone by Scott O'Connor, everyone. Go go buy it. It's a good book.
0: It is a great book.
2: I guess we're done.
1: (laughs) This is typically right where you say
2: are you okay right now? i usually
1: <laughs> brought to you by you we usually...
0: ended on such a solid like yeah. i thought maybe somebody usually i jump in when it's a little awkward and somebody <laughs> made a joke todd has said something inappropriate and then i'm cutting it off but uh,
1: uh yeah <laughs> so we're done writer you can start literary disco
0: is produced and edited by justin alvarez who is going to cut out the last five minutes for lit Hub radio you can reach out to us directly on twitter at literary disco happy reading everybody thanks for listening